Testing, testing.
Well, good to see you men this morning. Is it good to see me too? All right. Well, I didn't hear anything. Thank you, sir. Great to see you, Pastor. I appreciate that. I am going to save me a muffin. What a good man. Set that aside. So, we are on uh, page 38 of your of your book, and we'll be there in a minute, but our topic this morning is a man who treasures Christ. And uh, we'll look at uh, a couple specific passages of Scripture and then talk practically uh, about what that looks like. How do you know whether you treasure uh, Christ or not? Um, After we pray, we'll obviously uh, do our video like we normally do. This morning's a treat. Um... It's uh, maybe about a minute longer than normal, so I think it's like four and a half uh, in a minute, so they're, they're not that long, but this is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. How many of you ever have ever heard Dr. Lloyd-Jones preach? Uh, I tell you, he's with the Lord now, um, but, uh, but the good doctor was at Westminster Chapel, and I, just, I love to listen to him besides, because of, besides the wisdom uh, of, of exposition and just the gift that he he was uh, listening to the British accent, you know, is has got to be a treat. It's like Alistair Begg. It really doesn't matter what Alistair Begg says. It's just it's just really fun to listen to Alistair, you know. And uh, I wonder 
I wonder if I went over to to Scotland, whether they would be just as interested in my West Virginia accent as as we are in theirs. I doubt it, but but uh, but who knows? Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, talking about this morning. And uh, you've already exhibited the fact that you treasure Christ because you're here this morning, and you could be in bed or you could be somewhere else. Um, and so praise God, praise God for that. There's, there's nothing else. There's no one else um, other than Him. I mean, really, what, what else would you live for? Uh, the world sells you a bill of goods. Um, Charles Spurgeon said they spread a banquet table before you, and whenever you begin to eat, eat the, the world's dainties, uh, you realize that your mouth is full of ashes. Um, he had a way of being able to paint with the word. A banquet in the grave, Proverbs says, is what the world offers. And you think about that mental imagery. There's a banquet in the grave. You're, you're eating uh, a banquet out of the... Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty graphic. You know, out of dead flesh. Uh, rotted flesh as Mark stuffs his face with a muffin back there. Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad your hearts are for Christ, and uh, that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So open up to Psalm 42. Why am I reading Psalm 42? Because today is the 12th, and so you would start with Psalm 12 which I already read. And my second one for the day is Psalm 42, because you had 30. So, the 12th, and then 42. And then after we're done, I'll end up reading the other one. So there's a couple up here. There's one, uh, one right there. You're in the... My family just got back from SeaWorld uh, a week or so ago. You're in the... the Shamu spitting section or the the splashing section, yeah. Psalm 42. And doesn't this just go perfectly with our with our topic uh, this morning? There's two right here. There's one right here between Jim. There's one down there on the on the end. Or somebody sitting there, Matt. All right, there we go. You know this psalm well. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist starts with the imagery of a deer um, thirsty panting after after water and says that's the way our souls that's the way his soul is is for God my soul thirsts for God for the living God and then he cries out when shall I come and appear do you feel that way about coming to church <laughs> when is Sunday coming <laughs> I want to hear the word my tears have been my food day and night while they Say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and 
lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Dr. Lloyd-Jones says you need to talk to yourself. Don't let yourself talk to you. Good, Very good point. That's what he's doing here. Why are you in despair, O my soul? What's wrong with you, Brian? You, you get heaven rather than hell. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Christ is on the throne. That's what he's doing. And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. Preaching the gospel to himself. For I shall again praise him. Um, B.R. Lakin says it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as you think it is either. Um, Hope in God. I shall praise him again for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at sounds of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. His covenant love day and night a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And he ends with talking to himself again. His circumstances are driving him to... to to wonder where God's at is in his heart. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. And there's the anchor. For I shall yet praise Him. There's the hope, future hope. The help of my countenance. And my God, He's hoping in God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank you that you have given us the privilege. We will have set before our eyes the treasure of treasures, who is Jesus Christ. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. Whatever this world has to offer, whatever despair comes to our soul, whatever our circumstances declare to us, um, we look to you and we see truth. We see hope. We we see the fact that you are God and beside you there is no other and you are our treasure. Lord, even in this world, you have given common grace, you have given food and enjoyment and, and pursuits and those things aren't evil or bad in and of themselves. You have given us all things for good. But we, we don't worship the gifts. We delight in the giver. If you remove all of those things... We have Christ. We praise you for him. We glory in his name this morning. Help us um, to delight in your presence. If everything else is removed, we have the presence of God who resides in our hearts. We have your word this morning. So bless these men. Help me to teach. Um, help us to sharpen one another. Encourage one another that we might, uh, we might glorify you in our hearts live for you with our lives. Um, 
and turn from anything else that would distract us from that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. successes over your enemies, you know. We'll have this great realization of God. Oh, yes. There are angels who can do that for us. Destroy seven of our enemies. Take us to the land. We're in Canaan. We've got the milk and honey. Yes, everything seems to be all right. Golden blessing, Psalm 106, where we are told to the children of Israel, God, Granted them very tests, but sent leanness into their soul. You can have an outward prosperity and affluence. The church may be, they seem to be doing remarkably well. Good finances, good figures, successes, conversions, enemies defeated, everything going well. And the newspapers report it, the Christian newspapers report it. It all seems to be marvelous. But the appalling question I ask is this Is Providence? Is he really amongst us? Are we aware, as we should be, of his glorious presence? That's the thing that got these people. But they said in effect once, Canaan's no use to us. Milk and honey are of no value. We're not interested in these enemies. No one to you. <coughs> oh, says the psalmist. It is for thee I cry out of the heart, panted up to the water books. So panted my soul after thee, O God. He's not after blessings, he's after God, the living God. Yes, says Paul, 
Oh, I've been successful evangelist, I've done so much, but now I'm not satisfied that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. No, 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 they said, we can't go on without you. The presence of God is essential. They came to that realization. <clears throat> and as I say, their realization was that no outward prosperity and no type of success can compensate for the absence of God. What shall it profit a man, though he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Christian people, I'm not asking you this morning whether you're living a good life. I'm not asking you whether you're happy. I'm not asking you whether you read your Bible, whether you pray. I'm not asking whether you're active in church work or in some other form of Christian activity. What I'm asking you is this. Do you know God? Is He with you? Is He in your life? Is He in the camp? Or are you traveling on with God as if someone in the distance? Tune you up on it. It's true, isn't it? What do you have apart from the Lord? The purpose of this session is to is to train us to treasure and prefer Christ. And I think all of us would say that, right? I mean, we 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 prefer the Lord. We treasure the Lord. We choose the Lord over over the things of the of the earth. If I have to. If I have to choose between God and not having God, then then I choose God. It it I mean in one sense there's this there's this there's this logical calculation. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and, and asked them, you know, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Uh, I mean of course you'd want to go to heaven, right? And you know, what person I've actually had people say, No, I want to go to hell, you know, because they're trying to be uh, you know, big. But, I mean, if you think logically, would you choose heaven or you choose hell? Of course, you would choose heaven. But heaven is not, the gospel is not about going to a place. The gospel is about knowing a, a person that is God. I mean, that's what makes heaven, heaven. The fact that God is there, yeah, it's wonderful. The benefits that are there. But you could be in a place where there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no evil, all of those things, and you could be a miserable person. Outside of outside of Christ, outside of God, there are people in this world that that have the ability, whether it's their power, whether it's their influence, whether it's their affluence, whatever it is, where they can manage out the majority of the problems in their life. Now they can't escape death or or those type of things, but but they can manage out the the, the primary issues that that a lot of people deal with, and and then they bump along in life. But are they the ones that that are that are satisfied? Be careful. Uh, you re, the 
uh, as Lloyd Jones says about 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 the Psalms, Psalm 106. Um, be careful that you don't want God to actually give you what you want, right? You want God to give you what you need. I pray that all the time. Don't give me what I want. <laughs> I don't want what my heart wants because it's bad. I want what you know I need. Um, he gave them what he wanted, but then sent leanness uh, to their to their souls. So it goes without saying that we need to treasure Christ above all else. But sadly, often uh, idols can get between us and Christ. And we talked about what idols were several several weeks ago. The godly man is disciplining his life to remove idols. Now notice. It assumes that we'll have them, that they'll challenge us, that they'll that they'll rival Christ in our hearts in some way. You'll lay hold of Christ, and then there will be things that will that will that will challenge him for his preeminence. A godly man is disciplining disciplining his life to remove idols and put Christ in the preeminent position of his life. It is his worthiness. And honor that compel us to to live Christ and see death as gain. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. Have you ever pondered what he says there? To die as gain? Who says that? Who says, man, I got a cancer diagnosis. Death is gain. Well, somebody who sees Christ as the ultimate purpose in life, and that's an opportunity to glorify Him. I mean, I don't think it's natural to to rejoice over sickness or cancer, but once you process that and realize that even in that, that's an opportunity to glorify the Lord, you can rejoice in the fruit. The Lewis, the lady that was instrumental in leading me to the Lord, she would stand out. I know I talk about her a lot, and you don't know her, and so I don't even know what comes in, image comes into your mind whenever I say Theta Lewis. Uh, but I see Jesus in this lady. I do. And I, I, I can just remember marveling as a young Christian, listening to her stand on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday night and give testimony about she was thankful to the Lord for her cancer. And I mean... She's got a wig on, Kimbo's taking her eyebrows, and she's she's standing up giving thanks because she said before that happened, while she loved the Lord, now she treasures Him more than anything. Um, and I would sit there and think, that's weird, <laughs> but there's something about her that I want to be that way. I, I, want, I want to treasure Christ to, above anything else. So how do you do that? What does that look like? Well, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, because we're going to look at some practical admonitions that will help us in this battle. A godly man is disciplining his life. Notice it's disciplining. It's I-N-G. It's a continual process. And the disciplining is to remove idols and to put Christ in the preeminent position. Wouldn't it be nice if whenever you came to Jesus, you got up from calling upon His name, 
and your mind was completely renewed. All of the sin was gone. You know, it's kind of like going to the doctor and getting the shot. You 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 know, you have a, a spiritual USB port plug in, download all of the doctrine of God and everything, and then that just begins to flow out of your life. And I never, I'm totally inoculated to to distractions or idols. Yes, that would be nice, but that's not the way that it is, or the way God's ordained it. A godly man is disciplining his life. And then Christ ought to be our highest treasure. What does this look like? His worthiness and honor compel us to live in a specific way. Christ ought to be our highest treasure. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? I have. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up, there's the process, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be acceptable to God. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The precious value or the honor then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the Word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Then he talks about Christ ought to be our highest treasure. And Peter describes him as a, as a precious stone. Now he describes Christ here as rejected by men. He's talking to believers. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, um, the salvation of God. I mean, I, we've said it bluntly, like I tell myself I deserve hell when I begin to grumble or in my heart think, you know, woe is me. I don't have this or I sure would like that. I remind myself, wait a minute, wait, time out. You don't have any rights. <laughs> you know, it's not your agenda, it's Christ. What, what do you have? That, that you earned. What do you have that, that you, you deserve? I don't deserve anything other than, other, than, other than hell. And I've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's what he's saying. I've tasted the kindness of the Lord. So, so I, I mean, that's, that's an amazing gift. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men. So, so Christ is rejected by, by some, but he's... But he, he's chosen by God. That's what he says here. But he is choice. He's precious in the sight of God. So God has set before us Christ as, as his choice, as, as precious, and yet other people reject him, and yet you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He's setting this up. He's rejected by men. He's chosen by God. And you also are living stones. These are the ones that have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He's, he's precious in the sight of God. And you're living stones. He's the cornerstone. He's the chief stone. 
and you are living stones and you're being built up in a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to do what? To just enjoy spiritual benefits? No, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You're not acceptable to God outside of Jesus Christ. And now you become acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that someone who's depraved can't do good things as far as the world's concerned. It doesn't mean, total depravity does not mean that you can't help an old lady across the street and do something nice. It doesn't mean that you will always act to the, to the nth degree of your depravity. It, it doesn't mean that, that because you're totally depraved that, that you're going to get up every day and be an axe murderer or a child molester or whatever it is. It means that's resident within the heart and it, it's possible. And that separates you from God. There's a disposition of rebellion against God. And so the best that you can offer him, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. There's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. And the only way that you can offer anything to God that's acceptable is through Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses you of all of your sin, and he changes the disposition in your heart. He gives you a new operating system. AC to DC, and not the band. Right? It's different. You're different. What is the evidence of salvation? That you come to grace and granite? That, well, coming to grace and granite might be an, an evidence of salvation. That you read your Bible, that you pray, that you give. Well, if, if those things are connected to the desires, the real evidence of salvation is, is God's given you a new want to. You don't want to sin anymore. You want to love Christ where you didn't before. The Word of God that used to be boring to you and didn't make any sense in this archaic book, and I don't even want to be around it. Now you come for 50 minutes to hear a man who spent hours during the week explain to you what it says and press it upon your conscience. And you delight in doing that. If you don't delight in doing that, Peter says just a few, verse, few verses earlier, you might want to check to see if you love Christ. You know Christ. You desire the Word. You, like a baby, longs for it. There's a longing in the heart. There's a longing for God. There's a longing to know Him. It's what Lloyd-Jones said on the, on the video. You can have the, the land of milk and honey. It's not the land. It's, it's, it's the God of the land. Um, it's if, if we don't have your presence, if we don't have you, we, we're not going forward. You, you are all. Um, it's why Paul can sing in a prison. It's why if everything falls down around your ears, you still have Christ. It, it's why if you hit rock bottom, you're still on the rock of Christ. If you struggle in your sanctification and fail in the area of purity, like we talked about last week, Christ is still your treasure, and He's the one who still justifies you before God. He is your propitiation. First John chapter 2. My little children, I'd have you that you sin not. You don't delight in sin. You fight against sin. But if you do sin, assuming that you will, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is your propitiation. He's the one who propitiates you and propitiates God toward you. you he, God is satisfied in Him. He's not satisfied in me. But because God is satisfied in Christ and I am in Christ, I grieve whenever I grieve Him. I don't want to do anything. And yet I find myself falling and struggling and battling, and that's Romans 7, right? Paul said the things that I want to do because I have new desires, I find that I, I, I don't end up doing. And the things that I don't want to do, 
I find that that I do. Paraphrase, obviously. What's what, what's the essence of what he's talking about? It's desires, right? I don't want to do the things that I find in my in my life because I live in a fallen world and unredeemed flesh. And the things I want to do, I find that I, that I, I don't always do. David said, "I delight in the law of God." Now you think about that, delighting in the law. The law of God, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That says, You'll have no other gods before me. That says, You don't take the Lord's name in vain. Which says, Honor your father and mother. Which says, Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And you don't lie and you don't murder and, and you don't commit adultery and you don't cut. I mean, all of the things. That, that you fail at and that I fail at. That David failed at, right? I mean, David's a murderer. He's a liar. He's an adulterer. And he surely didn't love God. The first part's about God. The second part's about us. And David says, I delight in that. What is wrong with him? Is he sadistic? No, he loves the God and knows that that's his highest aim, even though he falls short of that. How can David say he delights in something that condemns him? Think about this. How can David say, I delight in the very thing that condemns me and lays me bare and shows that I have no hope in myself because he laid hold of the only hope for anyone, the one who lived the perfect life, the one who kept the law perfectly, the one who then died. See, he delights in the law of God because he knows that is the highest aim. It is good. The law is good. The problem is not the law. The problem is us. But without Christ, you just have a law that condemns you. With Christ, we have the one that justifies us. So Christ ought to be our highest treasure. So A, He's our precious stone. He's precious. Is the Lord precious to you? Um, Lord of the Rings. When I think of the word precious, I think of Gollum, right? My precious. Boy, there's a there's a powerful allegory there. There's a powerful picture of what sin will do to somebody, and how much an un person without Christ loves it. Do you love Christ like Gollum loves the ring? Does it drive you? I mean, think of what the ring does in Gollum's life. He wakes up thinking about it. When he doesn't have it, it's not it it, it, it drives him mad. He'll even serve the little hobbit dude because now he's the master of the ring. I'll follow whoever. And we'll do that with sin. We'll put all kinds of effort. We'll give up all kinds of things to enjoy earthly pleasures. Do we do the same with Christ? He's a precious stone. Since you've tasted the Lord's kindness, He is our He is our treasure. He's rejected by men. He's chosen by God. Christ is the choice stone and valuable only to those who believe. You see His worth. That's what He's saying here. Choice and precious in the sight of God, and you as living stones are being built up in a spiritual priesthood for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices through Christ. And verse 8, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of, a, of offense. He's rejected by men, verse 4. I mean, you realize that you have chosen to follow one 
that the world rejects. The world doesn't see Christ's worth, but you do. And you've tasted that, and that's a gift. It's a gift from the Lord. He opens your eyes. What The song everybody sings. Everybody knows John 3.16, whether they're a believer or not, and everybody knows Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace says, I was blind, but what? Now I see. Well, how did, how did you go from blindness to sight? Oh, I got really smart one day. I'm smarter than the average bear. No. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. And then my dungeon flamed with light. I was in the dungeon of sin. And someone shared the gospel with me. Someone preached the gospel to me. And the Spirit of God spoke into the darkness. Light. Let there be light. And there was light, Paul says in the Corinthians. It's blind and now I see. And now your eyes lay hold of Him. And the world is constantly trying to draw your eyes away from focusing on Him. And I have to keep turning my head back to Him. He's valuable only to those who believe. You should not be surprised that the world doesn't see the value that you see in Christianity or in the Bible or in Jesus or in following Jesus. Why would they? They're blind. They're unbelievers. Don't expect the unbelievers to act like believers. But think about how, how blessed we are that we can actually see what's valuable. I mean, we are men most blessed, are we not? Christ is precious in the sight of God. He's precious to us. When I think about the Lamb, the imagery of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, when John points him out, I mean, think about that. They're coming to be baptized. John's already rebuked the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who, who told you to flee the wrath that is to come. And then here comes Jesus, and he points him out and says, Behold, behold. I mean, he points him out to people, Behold, there he is. While well, I'm doing what I'm doing, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's precious in the sight of God. He's precious to us. Christ is the cornerstone. Highly valued, highly honored. And a believer must value and prefer Christ. And we've come full circle. He's rejected by men. He's chosen by God. He's honored by God. And not just as a stone, but he's honored as the cornerstone. He's not just a rabbi or a good teacher. He's the Messiah. He's the one that God builds his spiritual house with. And, and he's, the, he's the cornerstone. He's the one that, that sets the trajectory for everything else. Without the cornerstone, there is no house. And you're part of that house. You're being built in, up into a, a, spiritual, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And you're saved and made part of that house, the church, to, to offer up sacrifices to God that, that's been, that have been made acceptable through, through Jesus through Jesus Christ. And that's what he says, because you've done that, even though everyone else has rejected him, you'll be honored on the last day. Verse 7. The New American Standard says, this precious value then is for you who believe. This honor, I think it's a better way to use that word, this honor then is for you who believe. Versus those who have who've rejected him. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What's he saying? He's saying in the end, the fact that you've chosen Christ will be for your honor. God has honored him. 
God's chosen him. God's made him the cornerstone. You have not, you, you have done the opposite of what the world's done. Everyone else has rejected him. You've chosen Christ. You see the value of Christ that God said he is the way of salvation and that alone. And in the end, because you've believed, you'll be honored, even if you're rejected by the world, even if everyone says you're nuts. In the resurrection, that's when you'll be honored. So, what's the Lord worth to you? You say everything. He's, he's worth everything. So here's the probing question that I ask myself. How evident is that in my life? How evident is it that Christ is worth everything? That's what we would say as Christians. He's God. He's the forgiver of my sins. He's the Lord of my heart. How valuable is He? How precious is He? He's worth everything. If His true worth was calculated by your life, how much weight or value would be on the scale for for Jesus Christ? If it was calculated by how you spend your time, if the value of Christ was calculated in how many times you thought about Him yesterday, How many times the value of Christ was calculated by how many times that you sanctified your soul and turned from temptation and sin to Him? It was calculated by by how how much time you spend listening to Him in His Word, delighting in His Word, versus fill in the blank. How much how much would He weigh? It's a probing question, isn't it? Look at two. The scriptures show us a life of faith that overcomes what the world offers. Turn over to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. This is a helpful, very helpful passage. This is about the faith of Moses. Talking about the promised land, Lloyd-Jones was. The Scriptures show us a life of faith, a life that treasures Christ, a life that chooses Christ over whatever else is there, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, whether that comes from the outside or comes from the desires within. Scripture shows us a life of faith that overcomes what the world offers. And we're to see the example of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were were not afraid of the the king's edict. So, they were with faith of his parents. Now, look at Moses. By faith, Moses. By faith. What's faith? Getting really, really psyched up. You know, putting your faith helmet on. Is faith sincerity? Well, if that's the case, then the guys who flew the planes into the buildings were really sincere. The people that are blowing themselves up are really sincere. If that's faith, you know, the the monk that eats paste and chants all day is really sincere. Faith's not just sincerity. Faith is your believing response to a promise of God. Faith is attached to something. And that something is backed up by the God who made the promise. So your faith is in something or someone God promised. It's, it's, it, that's the anchor. 
Um, the power is not in your faith, as we saw last week, or in the sincerity of your faith by D.A. Carson. It's in the one that you place your faith in. It's in Christ. By faith, Moses, and that faith has a has an outflow. It has a it shows up in your life. It shows up in choices and in decisions. By faith, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment. Why? By faith. Because of faith, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of, of sin. Considering, calculating, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. Man, that is packed, isn't it? Moses chose ill treatment over the passing pleasures of sin. Is sin pleasurable? That's what the verse says. It says it's pleasurable. The problem is that it only lasts a really, really short period of time and it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. Sin has limited pleasure. And God acknowledges that. Moses chooses ill treatment over the passing pleasures of sin. Why did he do that? Well, he chose ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches. This is Piper, right? God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in Him. It's not less joy. When I, when I, as an unbeliever, I'm thinking, man, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop dipping Copenhagen. I've got to stop running after women. I don't have not have fun. I just go to church and listen to boring sermons. Dress funny. Why is that fun? Well, it's not fun for an unbeliever. Whenever I got saved, I, I, I did. I, I went from listening to ACDC and all different kinds of things to, to listening to a, to a trio that wasn't even in harmony. But I, I would sit there and weep because they're singing about Jesus. And now I now love Him. Totally different. What happened? New desires. But then I could have chosen to go back to the world have chosen not to show up and enjoy that out-of-tune trio that was singing about Jesus. Moses says, considering the approach of Christ, greater riches. God doesn't offer you less than what the world offers. God offers you infinitely more than what the world offers. And if you see the world as more valuable than Christ, there's something wrong with your spiritual taste buds. And if that's consistent, you need to see if you actually have taste buds for Christ. If you have genuine desires. This is salvation. You can make a profession of faith. You can pray a prayer. You can go into the waters of baptism. But if in your life there is no hunger and desire for Christ, the true bread, if there's no thirst for the living water, then there's a problem in here, not a problem in your activities. It's not less joy, it's more. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Helen? 
much treasure did Egypt have? That was it. I mean, Egypt is, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to compare it like to America, but I mean, that's, that's the power. It's, they've got it all. And where was Moses in the pecking order in Egypt? He's at the right hand. He's part of Pharaoh's family. Pharaoh's a god, and he has every single thing that, that Egypt has to offer. And he chooses the reproaches of, of Christ. Well, what did that look like in Moses' life? Moses shows that we must willingly attach our name to Christ. Are you afraid to attach your name to Christ? Um, what does that look like? Do people know you're a believer? Now, I don't mean wearing, you know, uh, God Answers Nemail t-shirts or putting a bumper sticker on your car or, or as we said on Sunday night, being obnoxious in the office. Um, somebody asked me what was wrong with putting tracks in the bathroom after the service. And I said, nothing. I'm not speaking against tracks. I have them. I, I have little booklets. I, I give them out. It's just don't leave one in there every single time you go to the bathroom and be that guy in the office that's just obnoxious. Okay, that doesn't attract people you know, to, to want to listen you know, to you. Moses shows he, he must, we must willingly attach our name to Christ. What did that cost Moses? What does it cost you to not be a closet Christian? Um, it costs you a lot. I can remember being an anthem and had was one of the five vice presidents and when they were we were we went through a joint venture and we were merging two companies and they had us sign non-competes I had a two-year non-compete because they don't want you obviously to go work for the competition and and uh, they wanted us to you know to stay they they Two companies come together, and so there's a vice president, me, and then there's a vice president that does what I do in the other company. So they pit, against, pit you against one another. And I can remember just this odd look on the CEO's face whenever I told him, just give it to the other guy. This is great. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go serve the Lord. You know, it was just mind blowing. I'd already made that decision. But I can remember one of my friends, one of the VPs. They asked us to sign an addendum to the non-compete, which would give us, which would give us money. But we had to sign even more of our rights away and stay through the transition and all of these kind of things. And, and I remember giving it, them giving it to me and, I, and saying, "I I need to pray about this and you know read it, think you know think think through it." I remember him getting really mad at me. The guy who was supposed to be my friend, he said, sitting in his office, there's you know three of us in there. He said, "Listen." You screw this up for me because of your stupid Jesus stuff. I'm going to be really ticked off. And he used a few other words that that I won't. And I can remember thinking, man, I don't want a friend upset with me. But what I said, I'm not trying to do anything wrong, but I'm not going to sign this without praying about it, without, without talking to my pastor about it. This is a big deal. I have no desire to take anything away from you. That's small, right, compared to what Moses went through. Moses associated with Pharaoh. He lost everything. He lost his status. And he associated with God's people. This wasn't just that he rejected. It was that he associated with those who already had reproach, already rejected. What do you see in evangelicalism? They want to embrace the reproach that is Christ and is the Bible? 
where they want to try to cozy up to the world and look as acceptable as possible. They want to dress Jesus up and make him look like a worldling. Can't do it. Moses' example shows that we must willingly accept reproach as greater riches. It's greater riches. And it's the reward in the life to come. That's where the reward comes. You may choose the reproach of Christ. You may choose the rejection of Christ. You may choose to associate with principles and positions, what the Bible says and things, and be rejected by the world. And you may not get a single benefit from that in this life. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your friends. It may cost you your reputation. But it won't in the life to come. And that's where the benefit is. Moses treasures Christ. Did you ever think about this passage? He considered the reproach of Christ. Moses? Now, did Moses know Jesus? Moses didn't know Jesus' name. Well, what was Moses hoping in? Moses was hoping in the coming one, the one who was to come, the promised Messiah, the seed that he wrote about in Genesis, the one that was revealed through Abraham. Moses is the one that got the revelation and wrote about the Abrahamic covenant. He, he's the one that Moses is, is looking to. He didn't know his name, but, but he, knew the, he knew the one who was coming. But he had no hope in himself. And in order to prefer Christ above the world, you must confess that the world's pleasure is passing and the world will chide you for your choice to treasure Christ. You ever had that happen? And they give us a warning here. Many in the evangelical culture today want to be loved. And boy, it just puts the knife to our throat. The reality that you find with Moses, you can't be faithful and popular. You can't court the world's admiration and hold on to Jesus On page 39, the top. The great temptation for those who fear man and are men-pleasers is found in these three statements. You can't be faithful and popular. You can't court the world's admiration and hold on to Jesus. You can't keep Jesus without severing from the world. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like in life? Again, this is not being personally obnoxious or not doing your job or, or failing to work hard. It doesn't mean not pursuing education. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with all your mind. Whatever faculties you have, you love God with it by pursuing. It doesn't mean failing to be excellent in whatever you do. You know a really good example of what it looks like? I think Chick-fil-A is a good example of what it looks like. They do what they do with excellence. And I'm not talking about closing on Sunday. I'm not talking about being a Sabbatarian. I'm talking about here's an example of a country, of a company that operates with excellence and yet you'll still find reproach, right? And if at any point in time... They choose to change their positions on biblical marriage or whatever it is. You remember when all that 
stirred up, got stirred up. Um, they don't alter that, but they but they keep coming back to what do we do? We make chicken, okay? You don't have to separate those two. Do what you do. Be the best doctor you can be. Be the best ditch digger you can be. Be the best pastor. Be the best whatever. Um, but in that process, remember, you can't be faithful and popular. Don't sell your soul for those things. You can't court the world's admonition, admonition and hold on to Jesus. You can't keep Jesus without severing from the world. There may come a point in all of those things where you're going to have to make a choice. And when you do, you choose the ways of God. You choose Christ, even if it costs you something. And that's, that's, that's the temptation of compromise when you're already there. And now you have it. And now it seems like you're going to lose it. And you have to make a choice. And you don't want to lose it. And you can rationalize. Well, I mean, I'm using this for God. But the real choice is compromise or Christ. Choose Christ, even if it costs you. And that's really, really hard to do. I've done it. And I've been in situations where I failed to do it. See the example of Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 through through 13. This is all about the, the reproach that comes. Hebrews 13, 7 through 13. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, what's he talking about? He's talking about how the offerer of an offering is is associated. So you bring an offering. You brought your offering in the, in the temple. And now he talks about the offering of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Jesus is the treasured centerpiece. A contemptible place for suffering was outside the camp. And we must be willing to go outside the gate and bear reproach again associating with Christ if we pre- we prefer him we're willing if we prefer if what we prefer is the culture we'll snuggle up to it bear reproach look at number 3 what does this look like well number 1 Christ ought to be our highest treasure number 2 
Scripture shows us a life of faith that overcomes what the world offers, choices that you have to make, hard. And then we must learn to prefer Christ's Word over human knowledge. In Christ, our knowledge and wisdom is found. That's what Colossians 2.3 says. The wisdom of the world is really nothing. It's empty. That means rejecting its calculations and conclusions, its methods, its systems, its promises, its values. That's what the Bible talks about the world, the cosmos, right? I mean, there's a world system that's telling you this is what you need. It's telling you this is the way you govern your family. It's telling you this is how you operate in business. This is what you ought to be about. We prefer Christ's word over human knowledge. Um, the world tells you where to find fulfillment, operate this way, value this, and you choose what the Bible says. That could be hard, can't it? Christ's disciples treasure, prefer the words of Christ over any human rationalization. John 6.68 It's the passage where the disciples say, where else shall we go? Will you leave also? They say, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go? Everything else will fall down around your ears. When the Bible or a brother in Christ gives us tough words, we don't run. That's not treasuring Christ. I don't even know the number now. Hundreds of churches in Lynchburg. And people swap members like like chewing gum. And a number of those hear something they don't want to hear or someone confronts them or tells them it's not right what you're doing and does it in a loving way and they leave and they go somewhere else somebody doesn't know them and they're not treasuring Christ in His Word whenever they do that we aren't perfect in our obedience but a Christian loves Christ's words Matthew 18 you know the you know the passage in Matthew 18 if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault. If he won't, take two or three witnesses so the word can be confirmed. And if he won't, then you put him before the church, the church discipline passage. We talked about this before. There's no list there. It doesn't say do this for murderers. Do this for people who embezzle money. It says if a brother sins, what's the, what do you do? You, you you go show him his fault. What's he saying? The way you think? Or the way Timberlake Baptist thinks? You go show him the word. And then if they hear you, then you've gained a brother. And the point is you're saying, you're a believer, I'm a believer, you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Then this is what the Bible says. And you all the caveats, you know, you go with humility and you make sure that you're not being disobedient yourself. And But you're saying... You're under the authority of, of Christ in, in Scripture. I mean, Jesus is not just your get out of hell free card. He's not just your Savior. He's Lord. And so, the Bible is over here. It's the Word of God. God is over here. And as a Christian, 
when I receive Christ, I place myself under the Word. I'm living under the Word. I want to be under the Word. And to the extent that my life gets out from under the Word, another brother comes back and brings me back under the Word. And if I hear, then I'm acting like a brother. The hearing of what the Bible says, the hearing of the voice of Christ, meaning hear and obey. I obey what the Bible says. I'm acting like a Christian. When I don't obey what the Bible says, I'm not acting like a Christian. So two or three others have to come and say, that that's what Christ says. Brother, come, come under the Word. Sister, come under the Word. And if they won't hear them, then, then it, the scope widens. This is not just a private interpretation. This is really what Christ says. And, and you're pressing. And if not, they're, they're to be like a heathen and a publican, the King James says. They're, they're acting like an unbeliever. Now, you can't see their heart. God makes the final judgment. But functionally, they're not willing to hear the voice of God. They're not willing to obey Christ. So they're not acting like a Christian because a Christian obeys the voice of Christ. They, they may struggle with it. They may not like it. They, they, they may have to wrestle through it. Somebody may need to, may need to, to lift up their, their dangling arms and their weak knees. But they'll hear. What? Yeah, hupotasa. To arrange under. Voluntarily arrange yourself under. It's the word for submission. It's what a wife does to a husband. She voluntarily arranges herself under her husband's leadership. You voluntarily arrange yourself under the word. Or you can be rebellious. So what does it mean to prefer Christ's word over human knowledge? It means when somebody tells you something in the wrong way, at the wrong time, you don't dismiss it, you listen to the truth. You don't go, well, who does he think he is? Well, I saw how that guy lives. Well, maybe you need to confront him too, but don't dismiss the truth that's from the Bible. (laughs) My wife has told me many things, and I try to listen to most of them. And sometimes she tells me things not in the right way. Has your wife ever told you something not in the right way? She's nagging or she's yelling. Are you going to say something? No. Okay. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's safe. Has anyone ever confronted you at the wrong time? Yeah? Man, can you believe that? I just got done preaching. I just preached my guts out. I studied 20 hours and preached my guts out. And you want to come to me and correct me right now? Are you kidding me? That's what my flesh says. But a spiritual man hears what's said, regardless of the source, regardless of the timing, and says, what in this is true? What in this lines up with with the Word, with Christ, and receives whatever it is that's biblical, and then a mature man also is able to, to let go what is not. All criticism is not accurate. But what is, I want to own. I want to treasure. Um, we aren't perfect in our obedience, but we, we love Christ's Word. We cherish them because they're pure milk and we need to grow. We reject wrangling. Don't be that guy. Well, in Nehemiah 8 and Ezra 3 and over here in Psalms, I was looking up in my word study and it says this. 
you know. So whatever you said can't mean that, you know, wrangling. You know, just always argumentative, always finding a way to make the word squishy um, when God puts the knife to your throat. Look at D. In love, we encourage other men with, with God's word when they're facing temptation. Listen, the greatest friend that you'll ever have is the brother that before you sin tells you, don't do it. They confront you. They come to you and say, man, man I see something bad going on in your life or, or coming down the pike and, and, and you, need to, you need to turn now. And, and you need men that will do that. You know, in business they say, don't surround yourself with yes men, yes people. Don't, don't do that in the Christian life either. You want men that are going to dig around in your lunchbox um, and find what shouldn't be there. And they're willing to do that. They can sniff it out. Wounds of a friend. Wounds of a friend. Exactly right. Better than the kisses of an enemy. A lot of people kiss you. Man, that was a great sermon, Pastor. And then roast your bacon on the way home from church. Undercut you to whoever else. A lot of people do that to you in the world. We don't need or want to know what anyone thinks about spiritual things outside of what Christ says. The exclusivity and the sufficiency of the Bible. We know there will be and are false teachers, and so we don't have anything to do with worldly fables. Man, did you read this new book about this little boy that went to heaven and came back and told us all about it? Burn the thing. It's nonsense. Everything you need to know about heaven is in the book. You don't need anything else. If there was, then... God would have given testimony of a little boy back during the apostles' time that went to heaven. Don't build your life or even entertain those kind of things. We apprehend God's Word with the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we have the mind of Christ. still remember Brett Edwards at my ordination. He was preaching the, the message and he told the story about when he first told his father that he was leaving his pursuit of business and that he was going to become a Christian. He said his dad was really encouraging. His dad said, have you lost your mind? It's about my dad's reaction in in the beginning. And he he, he reared back. He's a Texan. He's he's down in San Antonio now, so he's got this just really... I mean, when, when he speaks, it's like... Spiritual E.F. Hutton. I mean, you just want to listen to him. He's just got this commanding, commanding voice. He's, you know, he's got that Texas swagger. And he says, Sid, my dad said, have you lost your mind? And he said, yes, I have. And I found the mind of Christ. <laughs> you have lost your mind. That's what the world will say. It's a good thing to lose your mind. Lose your mind. Lose whatever you think, whatever's there. But find the mind of Christ. Renew your mind. Take out what's there, what you built your life on, and replace it. And you have been given a spiritual mind. You're not a spiritual man any longer that can't understand the word. You've been given 
you have been given Christ. We learn to prefer Christ over personal comfort for knowing Him, we prefer the fellowship of His sufferings. Lloyd Jones talked about that. Paul said we want Him instead of ease. I want both Christ and ease, don't you? I want to be a skinny pig. I want to eat whatever I want and never gain any weight. I want Jesus and I want the world to like me. I want to give all and still be rich in the process. But I can only have one. Therefore, I choose Jesus. Knowing Him, we prefer the fellowship of His sufferings. We die to personal comforts. There are times whenever I'm studying or doing whatever God's called me to do where I do exactly what the psalmist does. I have to talk to myself. Um, Whatever number of hours in, and I would much rather do something else at the moment. And yet I know that come Sunday there are going to be people that I'm responsible to feed the Word of God to, and it's my responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ to leave my butt fixed to the top of that chair until I lay hold of what that text says. And that's hard. And whatever your context is, it's hard. It's not easy. And that's where perseverance comes in. And that comes by making small choices. When you're faithful in little things, then you'll learn to be faithful in much. And success is faithfulness. It is putting your head down and keep and you keep going. You must have a Christ-centered or eternal mindset, or it doesn't make any sense. Christ is like the pearl of great price, something we pursue, giving up all to treasure. We die to personal comforts. And again, I understand. I like personal comforts. God gives you personal comforts. He gives you good food. You don't need to go home and throw out your mattress and start sleeping on a a piece of plywood. You understand what I'm saying. Number five, we learn to continually explore and discover the depths of Christ. God have mercy on the Christian that's been saved 30 years and is not growing and thinks that they know all that they need to know. We continually explore, continually learn. We plumb the depths of Scripture to know Christ better. We know the love of Christ as we learn. It's a kind of love that surpasses knowledge to know Him. Tragically, we often know our profession or our hobbies more deeply than we know Christ. We pursue and treasure Christ by seeking knowledge of Him in greater degrees. What are we doing as men of God sitting around plumbing our favorite hobby while our understanding of our Redeemer is scant? This cannot be. Adrian Rogers said, Many a boy will spend more time learning how to whistle than men will studying their Bibles or learning Christ. Did whistling come easy to you? I had to work at it. And I would work at it. I'm still not good at it. How much effort do you put into learning Christ? Well, 
Some. You're here. Praise the Lord. God burst forth to bring forth light in Christ. It's a in this treasure that motivates. It's this treasure that motivates the direction of our life. The life of Christ is manifested in us so others can see and know Christ in us and we're charged to promote Christ. The unfathomable unfathomable riches are our promise. Christ himself wants to be with us. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, wants to be with you. Christ prays for this very thing. Christ asked the Father to spend time with you and to preserve you and to keep you. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prays for a person who is constantly sinning to be with Him. That reality should cause us to desperately treasure Christ. We must be men who grieve and weep when we don't treasure Christ as He he deserves. And now He just tightens the noose on us. And it's disobedience when we're unwilling to treasure Him. We sin in wicked ways, but do we hate the sin? Do we hate it when we fail to treasure Christ? Are we grieved that God actually loved us and sustained us in our salvation while we love something else instead of Him? Are we deeply grieved when we learn that someone walked away from Christ? Probing questions. Men, so as a deer pants after the water brook, I want to pant after the Lord. Uh, marriage conference coming up family conference um, biblical counseling conference all the same if you're not signed up you need to be you do not want to miss this brother uh, even if you can only come part time we're getting ready to announce on Sunday um, you can purchase a ticket for somebody else for $15 as an outreach we have plenty of people coming, so this is not just a ploy to try to get people. We're trying to make it easier for you to be able to, to somebody you're working with, somebody in your family, a friend, a neighbor, we're trying to make it easy for you to be able to bring them. And this basically covers costs. I mean, there's there's dinner, or, or there's, there's lunch, there's breakfast, there's snacks, there's all kinds of things, there's books. And so that $15 basically covers the cost the church, but you'll be able to tell you about this on Sunday. You'll be able to get it, buy it for somebody, and, and give it. So you know somebody in crisis, you know somebody that needs the Lord, it's a great opportunity. And so you'll hear you know, more about that um, on, uh, on Sunday. And you, just call the office too. and you can call the office too if you want to, if you want to do that. So this coming Sunday, Mark 14, we've moved out of the Moving out of the the confrontation and and the second coming, and we're moving. I mean, we're moving into the crescendo. We're we're coming to the cross. So we're going to see the players of the cross on Sunday, and the scene gets set up, and and then we're there. What we what we rejoice over. So let me pray for it. Yeah. yeah a few, few able bodied men can stick around a few minutes to help rearrange the room. We'll take your help. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for these brothers. Thank you for their love for you.
And Lord, and I read this, and I, I, in one sense I feel beat up. In another sense, I'm very thankful that you worked me over with the Word um, because I'm not good, and I will drift. So thank you for, for tying the rope tighter and, and, even, and even tugging on it this morning. I pray for these brothers as they go out into the world um, that we would treasure you above everything else and get rid of anything that holds us back in Jesus' name. Amen.